0: VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly.
1: And good morning everyone. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly who is vacationing and I hope he is enjoying the weather that we're currently having, wherever he may be on this uh, little blue globe. Well, the provincial government yesterday released an Alcohol action plan. Um, it's not something that I was expecting to see coming down on um, on a uh, Tuesday afternoon, but uh, we received it nonetheless, and uh, it outlines some ways at reducing the harm caused by alcohol consumption. Now, as you know, for some time we have had the highest alcohol consumption rates in the country, but unless it's something you're entrenched in, uh, you know, working towards and working with, uh, we haven't really heard a lot about alcohol consumption in this province in recent years. Alcohol, as we know, has known health and physical, uh, or sorry, psychological effects, and now it's been directly linked to cancer. Studies have shown that it is directly uh, related to cancer. The province is looking at the social determinants of health right now as part of the health accord, and this is one of them, no doubt, and some of the statistics are are quite uh, alarming. The harmful use, straight out of this report, the harmful use of alcohol is one of the leading risk factors in Impacting population health worldwide, it is linked to over 200 health conditions, ranging from liver disease, of course, to cancer, including cancer of the larynx, esophagus, colon, rectum, liver, breast cancers, cardiovascular disease, of course, tuberculosis, and HIV/AIDS. It also impacts brain development in fetuses leading to fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, as well as deaths by suicide and injuries due to motor vehicle accidents and violence. The impacts are tremendous, and we've all seen it. We've all been familiar with it. We've all seen the impact of alcohol consumption on people in our lives. We've seen it on strangers who are acting up either, you know, at a bar or downtown or whatever the case may be. Um, We've all seen it. So um, an alcohol action plan now out. I'd like to hear what anybody has to say about that. Links to the plan are available on vocm.com. Well, you may have heard this one last week The federal government, Canadian uh, Food Inspection Agency, as a matter of fact, um, announced that it is imposing a ban on the entry of all commercial dogs into Canada from a list of countries considered to be at high risk for rabies. The ban will start September 28th until further notice. Commercial dogs uh, are what they're looking at. And that includes, when they talk about commercial dogs, uh, includes dogs intended for the purposes of being given or transferred to another person, uh, dogs who are being imported for resale, adoption, fostering, breeding, show or exhibition, and even research well, the list includes countries from where Canadians and indeed Newfoundlanders and Labradorians have adopted dogs, including Qatar. You may be familiar with the Saluki, uh, Arabian Saluki Rescue and El, which has been bringing dogs here. I know somebody, as a matter of fact, they're not here in Newfoundland, but I know somebody who uh, adopted a beautiful uh, Malamute Husky from Lebanon. Now, she has some family ties to the country, but she uh, she has one of the most beautiful dogs. He's always showing up in my Facebook feed. He's the happiest little guy, big guy, I should say. <laughs> um, and um, really, uh, one wonders if that dog hadn't been adopted out to a loving home in Canada or elsewhere, uh, what its fate might have been. So it's something that has, um, I guess, gotten a lot of reaction in the animal protection um, sort of realm. If you have any thoughts on that, by all means, give us a call. Saw the story recently, CBC had it, about MPs who are now being supplied with so-called panic buttons. Um, And you would think, wow, how bad is it that an MP has to be uh, equipped with a panic button? And I was thinking about it as, um, as I was sort of absorbing some of the details there, and uh, uh, MP Joanne Thompson is among them. And uh, she's had to make use of one, or has at least had access to one. Um, she she's, hasn't been too worried here, but in Ottawa. And I was wondering, is this a direct result of the so-called Freedom Convoy and some of the, I guess, very high emotion and, and some of that real feeling of intimidation that some people carried around with them during that time. Anyway, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that and the use of panic buttons by our elected officials is, is it that bad out there? Um, We all know how social media has ramped everything up to the nth degree. And uh, for good reason, a lot of uh, media outlets worldwide, by the way, have um, reduced or limited or cut out altogether comments on stories because no good has come from it. No good. And it's just the social media has really change the way we live, interact, and um, communicate with one another, and not always for the good. But anyway, if you have anything to say about that, you're certainly welcome to do so. Uh, The Gulf Cod Fishery has been closed for one year. Well, (laughs) where have we heard that before? Um, the stock is, uh, well into the critical zone, and that's where the fish would have a very difficult time, uh, rebuilding. There are certain thresholds, and this is known as the blim, I think it's called. Uh, anyway, um, we heard from a couple of people who are affected by that, and industry groups as well. I'd like to continue to have that conversation this morning, if at all possible. And, um, healthcare, healthcare, oh my goodness, Healthcare. It's the one thing that affects us in such a fundamental way, isn't it? We can talk about uh, gas prices, we can talk about grocery prices, and, you know, all the stresses and strains that that causes. But arguably, there's nothing that causes more stress and strain than your health. And when Either you can't get access to health care or someone you know is not getting appropriate access to health care and there's no more frustrating feeling in the world. Yesterday we heard from a woman who can't get respite care for her husband. He is completely dependent on her and a, and a worker that she brings in and she's got to have knee replacement surgery. She's got got the call, she's got to go, she's going to get it. As she said, she's punishing now uh, in need of this surgery, so she's going to get it. But the closest place in which she can put her husband, she lives in Whitburn area, is in Grand Bank. Have you encountered this kind of thing before? Why is it so difficult to place seniors in particular, or those who require um, more intensive care, I suppose, uh, in respite care or seniors who have lived independently all their lives and suddenly suffering a health emergency and ending up miles from home. No familiar faces to be seen. Couples have been separated. Is this how we can expect to live out the rest of our lives, as burdens to the system? And, I, you know, I'm not saying that you are a burden. I'm saying that that's how some people are left to feel. And it's not good enough and does it all come down to this staffing that we keep talking about and the recruitment of health professionals? Obviously, uh, it's a big uh, part of that. And, of course, COVID having uh, piled on in a big kind of way, all the stresses and strains already being felt in the system. Anyway, if you have anything to say on the, that, I'd encourage you to give us a call. We're going to take a short break because we've got a few calls already lined up. Um, tune in. Turn on. Turn <laughs> on pick up the phone give us a call we'll be back right after this and we're back we are going to go now to oh this is going to be interesting um we're going to go now to line one uh, where hilda whalen is waiting on the line hello hilda
2: good morning
1: well i saw your facebook post
2: yeah that was quite quite a fish wasn't it
1: (laughs) if you haven't seen it yet and it's going to be broadly shared trust me it will show up i can see that (laughs) if for the purposes of our audience right now if you haven't seen this picture hilda whalen has posted a picture of well the biggest codfish i think i've ever seen hilda is it the biggest codfish you've ever seen
2: Actually, it is. And uh, my I was with my brother-in-law. He's a fisherman all his life. He, it was the biggest fish he ever saw. And my brother was home. That was, uh, wasn't was uh, this food fishery. was a couple of years ago. But I never did post it. And I was talking to my husband. We were having a chat about it last night. And I said, I must throw that on Facebook, right? A friend of mine had one held up in his hand. And I I slapped it back an email and I said try to hold this one in one hand, right? So uh, I said I must put that on Facebook, right? But yeah, it, that that cod was uh, I'd say about seventy pounds. Oh my goodness! Well, uh, we were we were uh, all there fishing and all of a sudden it was just like it stopped my, my and it started to pull me and I said my brother said there she's got the bottom hooked again. I said. Well, if it is, it's moving. I said, "Here, quick, take it! They're gonna pull me overboard!" <laughs> so my brother and I said, "She got a shark on now." I said, "No," I said, uh, "It's... I think it's a a card." And he said, "No, no, no." Anyway, they reeled it in. When they got it to the side of the boat, they couldn't get it up they took the gas that you see in it one of them gas my brother's holding the other gas ellis's holding. they said blessed lord it is a god right and they whipped it in the boat and the head was on one side of the boat came across the bottom and a tail up the other side so we you know we were all amazed so we came home and uh ellis said uh i will i'll uh, I'll, uh Got no weigh scales the weigh it, the weigh it, and I said, said bathroom scales. And of course, he had him in his arms, and the head and tail was out over. So he didn't get approximate weight. He said, it says forty-five, but well, my brother said, yeah, that's at least seventy, seventy-five pounds, right? I said, okay. So he salted and dried it for me, and it was was quite memorable.
1: Was it any good eating?
2: Actually, you know how you, I, I when he bought up. I cut it up to make fish and brews, and you know how it flakes. You know the 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 thicker part of the cod. The flakes were so thick, right? And they were like they were like a little tough. So you couldn't. Didn't break off the same as the smaller fish would, right? That was delicious just to say.
1: <laughs> well, when I saw the picture, I said, "My gosh, what what is somebody doing posting a a porpoise? They caught a porpoise!" <laughs> Honest to God. <laughs> and it wasn't until I really started looking at it, you can see the eye, you can see the gill, yes. and I said, "Oh my God, that is a cod."
2: It was a cod, and it was it was one huge cod. I tell you, I don't think there was one caught that year any bigger than that. <laughs> Well, that's an amazing story, Hilda. Yeah. I'm amazed that you me. held said, back. Yeah, I said to said to my husband, I said, yeah, "I never did put that on Facebook. I must throw it on there now and let a lot of people, like they come on." One person said she didn't get that right. Yeah, I did.
1: You must have been terrified that it would
2: haul you over. Well, it was. It was pulling on me, and I wouldn't let go of the rod. So my brother was behind me, i said, here, take it before it throws me over. <laughs> or snap off I mean, the, the, the rod or the line. You must have had some line on well, it. Well, it didn't. No, it didn't break the rod, and they worked on that. It took them about, I'd say, 10, 15 minutes to get aboard. right?
1: Unbelievable. So are you going to say where you caught it to?
2: Greens Harbor down Trinity Bay.
1: And any idea how old it might have been?
2: I don't know. Somebody said uh, on Facebook said you'd think you would throw it back. I said, not likely. What new do you know would throw a bag of fish that size? The cod moratorium.
1: (laughs) Well, they say you know fish will continue to grow if they're not caught. They'll just keep growing and growing and growing, which is why I guess to an extent why we're seeing such big cod fish from time to time.
2: I think that one was older than me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Hilda, well done yourself. I suppose you're still eating that, are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. only needed one
2: freezer to <laughs> freeze it, right? <laughs> what was the length of it? Well, my, my brother's is uh, six, probably six, one or two. He was standing up, and he had it held up like you couldn't even see his face for to take a picture. And when he, he struggled, he got him up there. His tail was still on the ground, and he said, Hurry up, Billis! I can't hold it. I'm going to drop it. <laughs> and he's not weakly. <laughs>
1: Unreal. Well, um, you can expect that that one is going to go
2: viral. I would say, I would say. But yeah. I, I never did. I said to Bill, I never did post that. I must throw that out there. I haven't been out this year in the fishery right now.
1: On a On a separate point, uh, Hilda, because you're the mayor of Whitburn, how are things going? I know the clinic there has uh, seen a few uh, shutdowns. Well, I
2: must say... Uh, uh, when you were talking about them panic buttons, I said, I wonder if there's one way we can get one of them and stick on our politicians and, and our CEOs Eastern Health and say crisis, panic crisis, right?
1: In terms of health care. Um, Absolutely. What are you hearing about the local clinic? Uh,
2: well, our clinic is, uh, it'll be open now in the daytime, but there'll be no emergency. Uh, Our clinic is not slated to close. It's just they have no doctors. But they have no doctors anywhere uh, in these clinics that are closing. At first, uh, like, I look at something, I say, what is the bottom issue here? This is not just one. This is everywhere. So i had done some digging, and I come to find out that the College of Physicians and Surgeons in 2019 put a – A rule in place that all uh, foreign doctors coming into Canada had to go to school for, I think it was 12 weeks before they got their license to practice. Prior to that, they could come in and practice, and I guess they were monitored or had testings here and there. But that has affected – because we have been – service very well by foreign doctors you know it's it's they're they're amazing but we're not getting them anymore i'm presently it is one of the reasons why i'm not out out uh, jigging cod because I, i'm steady uh trying to find out what is happening in regards to how many do you have in training? Can you we expect these to come into the system? And I talked to the, the the college of physicians and surgeons, and I told them, I said, I asked them how many. You know, true politicians they missed their calling, right? They went all around it. Of course, I'm ATIP, tip, and that you know, I'm going to have my answers. But. Uh, yeah, that's that's a big issue there, and uh, they need to take that away. And, of course, overworked. Like I told them when I talked to them, I said our clinics were doing fine. The problem was our doctors were overworked and understaffed. If you had uh, gave them a hand that way and underpaid, I said you wouldn't have the issues you had. And when you, you stuck that new rule in place, that just kicked it. I said, what happens is now they come in, Linda, they take a look at it. They say, I'm not sitting around here for once. How long do they have to wait for their training? I'm not sticking around here. I can go to New Brunswick, I can go anywhere. I don't have to do this. I can go on and go in and practice. So they said to me, well, the college physician's surgeon, he said, well, we don't have anything to do with recruiting right and i said wrong i said you restrict recruiting that's the effect you have on recruiting and uh, the the lady there were two of them on a virtual meeting and I, she said well we are continually going on about the service and continually evolving to improve the services etc cetera, etc cetera. and i said you have evolved too far go back
1: Right. And my understanding is uh, on that point, Tilda, my understanding is that the provincial government is having a, a very serious look at, uh, um, you know, they're, they're having another look, I suppose, at, at some of those requirements for foreign doctors because, of course, they have to meet a certain standard in, in across Canada, you know what I'm saying, yeah, uh, yeah. and not all training is exactly the same. So I guess no. there's a precaution there to make sure that everyone is trained on the same level to the same uh, standards, but um, they're they're having another look at it at the very least to see if there's any leeway there at all. Yes.
2: Yeah. No, I think I think what's happening is, uh, and it was funny because he said, to, "I said, isn't that done on a federal uh, level when they come in, uh, how long they've been practicing, where, you know, on the background checks, et cetera? He said, "Yes, but the ones that don't meet the standard," he said, "they come they come here and we train them." I said, "If they don't meet the standard, they shouldn't be in here." right? <laughs> so it's it's quite. Uh, it's, it's quite interesting how uh, so many uh, like associations is affecting this. It's a, it, it's not all money, but it is a lot of overwork, uh, you know. And this rule that just kicked the can. Hilda, got to get that out of there and get some money on the table. Look, we've spent millions. We're in debt billions for something that half of it never ever. Uh, uh, you know, it wasn't for the people. It didn't It didn't affect us at all. But if we were to throw a half billion on the table and say, now I'm going to give us the best health care in, in Canada, no one in Newfoundland would bat an eyelash because it is the single most important issue today in our province.
1: Hilda Whalen, Mayor of Whitburn, I really appreciate your time. Um, and uh, get out on the water, see what else happens. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you very Almost much. It this time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks, Linda. All right. Bye bye. Uh, we're going to go now to Lola. Hello, Lola. Yes. Good morning. How are you?
3: Great. How are you? I'm not too bad. Thanks. I just heard a, a lady there on the um, on the on there on open line. there talking about that she had uh, have a knee replacement and uh, she can't get in the home care for her husband. So um, I got an idea for her. Um, I just had a knee replacement. Um, it was six weeks now. This Saturday, and I never had a home care for my husband either. Couldn't get any other one. But I went to the uh, I went to the senior uh, to the senior citizens homes, and well, Western Health here in Deer Lake. So I guess she got Western Health that she didn't, She can go to her MHA and go to a senior home, as a senior citizens home, and tour around somewhere because they do have respite cares and that's a room that respite care that state you stay there just for a short term while you know why your loved one is sick
1: Yes, I'm and somebody we are that or not. Somebody called in yesterday and uh, indicated that there were um, there's some availabilities in Placentia, uh, which is much closer to her than Grand Bank. Um, oh, she's in, she's Bay in Bay the Bay. Whitburn area, I think, was Old Shop Trinity Bay, as a matter of fact. And so she okay. was looking for something much closer to home. Um, yeah. So somebody called in. I did provide the phone number to her. Um, I don't know if it's met with any success, but that's uh, an interesting idea. So you called around to local seniors' homes. Uh, yes I did yeah and uh, well the Western Health helped me right because I needed uh,
3: I needed one right so and I got to the Cornerbrook long-term care in Cornerbrook, right yes yeah and so, I mean that were they were fantastic down there my husband just got home yesterday and they were fantastic down there yes
1: oh well that's so yeah. encouraging to hear uh, Lola was uh, what kind of care level of care does your husband require pardon me what kind of level of care does your husband require
4: Well, he uh, uh, well he
3: well he does he can get up he's mobile get up and things like that right you know he can get up and move around right so you know it's not too too he's not too too serious right you know what I mean but I mean he's still you're not steady on his feet and things like that right.
1: Yeah, I think
3: and go to watch stuff like that, just help dressing and undressing and things like that, right?
1: Yeah, in Anne's case, I think she he required some pretty intensive care, um, 24 hour. So, um, th- you know, it may be a little more difficult for her. But that's an excellent idea, uh, Lola. Hopefully, she she can avail us something. Her s- surgery, I think she said, was scheduled for Friday. So, oh, I thing. Yeah, mine was scheduled
3: for a Friday too. Well, mine was scheduled in August, and then they called back and said it was scheduled on. Friday, uh, lo and behold, I've been on the phone, on the phone, on the phone, and then I got, I got it right. I, I got him in, I got him in. So that was good. So I wish her all the best. But I never heard yesterday morning because I was down getting ready for to take my husband home. So I never heard this yesterday morning. But I wish her well, and I hope and pray that she will, that she will get in, get in, get him in into a home. Well, thanks Thank for, for your call, Lola. Because I know, I know what she's going through because, I mean, I went through hell and back, God me. I tell you, with a, with a knee replacement. It's very, very, very painful.
1: Yeah, it's not easy. And then the physiotherapy that you have to undergo after that?
3: Yes, that's right. Yeah. But it's all good, though, and I wish her all the best. And that's the that's outcome I called and hoping that she'd be able to. And even if she called her MHA, too, right? I mean, they might be able to help her right away, too.
1: For certain. And I think she had already been in touch with her MHA on that matter as well. And they were, they were giving it a try. I think it's uh, Sherry Gammon Walsh. Um, Lola, yeah. I really appreciate your call this morning. Thank you. Okay, then. Thank you very much, and have a great day. All right. You too. Okay. Okay, then. Bye-bye.
5: And uh, we'll be back right after this. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And we're back, and we're going to go now to John Siri
1: with Drive Electric NL. Hello, John.
6: Hey, good morning, Linda. How are you?
1: Good. I noticed you sent us a little note uh, there indicating that you're getting ready for a big electric vehicle road show.
6: Yes. What's that all about? (laughs) We are going to reach out to the rest of the province because we have our Drive Electric Resource Centre on Pippi Place in St. John's, and we have a lot of people stopping in there. But we want to take the show on the road, so to speak, and get as many people with as many cars to visit. The rest of the province. So we start the western part of the island, uh, starting tomorrow in Grand Falls, and we have a stop each day after that from Deer Lake, Rocky Harbour, Corner Brook, Stephenville, and Port au Basque. And we would like to let everybody know that we're coming. And if you're interested in making your next vehicle electric, or you just want to see the cars and ask questions, to to come by and uh, come find us and see what they look like and ask away.
1: So is this your yourself, or is it a, a, a variety of different electric vehicle owners?
6: It's, it's both. So I'll be there with my Tesla Model X, and uh, we're towing one of my trailers now. We're actually making it a camping trip across the province. So uh, for all but one or two of those stops, I'll have the trailer on so people can see what they look like when they're towing uh... joe butler is the other founder of drive electric canal and he'll be with us uh... we have local owners at each stop uh, coming out with their cars to to show them off and to talk to people and we also have some participation from Newfoundland Power and Newfoundland Hydro with their uh, vehicles that they have in their fleets to to show off. So we expect to see uh, you know a nice selection, uh, you know, depending on each uh, municipality who's who's around and who's on hand. But uh, they'll certainly certainly see me, and I'm always happy to answer questions and, and talk all day long.
1: and we've had you on the show talking (laughs) at length about it um so is it getting better in terms of supply
6: um everything seems to be constrained for gas and electric and hybrid but uh i'm i'm hearing more and more inventory is is coming through and being delivered at the different manufacturers slowly but surely uh if it's if it's something that you're interested in doing uh you know get 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 the information now and put in an order, put in a reservation uh, for, for the model that you'd like. Um, one of the things that I've heard is that if your dealer is uh, not not interested in doing an order at this time, it might be worth checking with other dealers of the same brand. Some of them are doing uh, pre-orders for models that might take a little while to get delivered, but at least you're in the queue. So, we, we have a website, actually, uh, driveelectricnl.ca, and that has the, uh, the locations that we're stopping at and the times. Most, most of the times we're there for two hours starting at noon, with the exception of the Rocky Harbour stop, where we'll start at 10 o'clock.
1: And um, so what can people expect to see here? Are they all um, sedans or is there a variety of electric vehicles that are available?
6: So we have uh, some uh, smaller commuter cars up to the larger sort of SUV crossover uh, type style, which seems to be very, very popular. Uh, in some of the stops, we'll actually see uh, a couple of models that uh, haven't become available here yet. Uh, Kia has an EV6, which is very popular. Um, we we're hoping to see uh, the Audi e-tron here. We have one of the owners that's going to see if he can make it out there from the St. John's end. Uh, of course, Tesla will, will have my Tesla. We'll have uh, a couple of Teslas of the different models there. Um, we'll have the, the Chevy Bolt, which is a smaller vehicle but quite popular, and uh, the Kona from Hyundai and perhaps the uh, Ionic 5, depending on the stop, you know, all of these are sort of that SUV crossover, mid-range, middle of the price range type uh, type vehicle so uh you know, lots lots of good representation there as far as trucks go we uh we haven 't seen any of the trucks delivered to Newfoundland yet, but deliveries on the the Ford f one fifty lightning are just starting across the country and uh at uh, at the end of the month and into August, we'll have uh, an announcement on that. Uh, we're, we're hoping to entertain one of the first uh, electric trucks to the province uh, in the first week of August, and uh, you'll hear from me when that happens.
1: Cool. Is it going to be the Cybertruck?
6: <laughs> the Cybertruck from Tesla is still a little ways out from delivery, but Ford has started their uh, their deliveries, and to all accounts, the uh, Everybody that's had them are very impressed. Uh, we've had uh, owners there who use them for for work, use them for towing, use them for you know long distance and so on. Uh, I've seen pictures of people pulling a, a flatbed with several pallets full of uh, you know drums and barrels and so on, weighing in over 13,000 pounds, and uh, no issue at all with with towing. So I think once people start to see what these trucks do, um, you know the amount of power that they have, the fact that you can use them for your job site power, uh, they will be hard to, for the dealers to keep them in stock. In fact, well, they already are hard for people <laughs> to keep them in stock. So we're really looking forward to see what happens with those.
1: So once again, the roadshow starts?
6: Grand Falls tomorrow at noon um, on Cromer Avenue. And then each day afterwards, Deer Lake on July 8th, Rocky Harbour July 9th, Corner Brook on the 10th, Stevenville on the 11th, and Portabasque on the 12th. And please see our website driveelectricnl.ca for the uh, locations and details.
1: John Siri, appreciate your time. Thank you.
6: No problem at all. Have a great one.
1: Already. Bye bye. Bye bye. And uh, we are going to go now to Barry Porter. Hello, Barry. Hi. Uh, good day, Linda. How are you? Oh, I'm Beskine. That's good. So, you are a former lighthouse keeper, is that correct? That's
7: correct. I spent uh, 23 years on uh, the northeast coast of Newfoundland.
1: Very good. All at the same lighthouse?
7: No, no. I, I worked on three main lighthouses uh, Surgeon's Covid on Explates Island, which is a resettled island, uh, several years on beautiful Long Point Twillingate, and four years on Bacalao Island, which is off here in Neck, just west of Change Islands. And one ship on Puffin Island just filled in on Puffin off Greenspan.
1: So, are light, light uh, keepers still a thing?
7: Well, yeah, they're still a thing. There's still over 20 man lighthouses uh, in Newfoundland. When I started back in uh, 1983, we had 56 man light, uh, light keepers, or lighthouses. And o- over the years, the uh, automation closed down, you know, approximately half of them.
1: So you've written a book about your experiences. Yes, I wrote a book about
7: it. I've been kicking around in my head for 10 years, and uh, it was a unique career, and uh, a career that not not many people know, uh, what goes on on these remote lighthouses and islands. So uh, I put it to paper, and uh, good old Flanker Press published it.
1: Is it a a lonely existence? We often, you know, in, in tales of past stories and that, it seems like a kind of a lonely life. But, I mean, did you have your family with you? Did you commute back and forth? How did it work?
7: Uh, it was roughly 32 days on, 32 days off on, on the island with another co-worker. There was two lightkeepers there at all times. But it was lonely, and uh, you make the best of it. But, uh, you know, you could get... Days and days of fog with the foghorn blowing in the Uh, background—that was always uh, a challenge. But then the sun would burst out, and uh, you know you could be a a dozen icebergs floating past your kitchen. So, yeah, you make you make the best of the the good days.
1: For certain, and uh, I mean, it's one thing to be manning the uh, lighthouse at uh, Long Point in Twillingate. It's a whole other thing to be out on Puffin Island, as you said.
7: Yes, the islands were, you know, you're you're isolated. Uh, you're you're out there for 32 days and 30 32 days off. and depending on the on the weather, you could get stuck out there for up to extra four, five, six days if the weather turned bad, because you had to uh, do changeovers. Uh, your your mode of transportation was speedboat or in the wintertime helicopter, so it was it was challenging getting on and off those islands at all times, plus you'd have to carry your supplies. You couldn't go down to the Co-op or Dominion to pick up your groceries, so you'd have to box up 32 days worth of meals and uh, throw it aboard your boat and uh, you know cruise out 20 miles and uh, hope for the best and land it at, at, the, at the island.
1: Would you do it all over again? <laughs> uh, I yeah, probably would.
7: I probably would, sure. Uh, i have done it for 23 years, then I moved on, but it was good, but you know, it, it got lonely when uh, when uh, kids came uh, into the family. It, it changed uh, a lot of things,
1: right? Sure, that's a long time away from uh, from your family. I'm sure you you saw the difference in their growth <laughs> after <laughs> yeah. 32 days.
7: Oh yeah, you come home and they got two teeth, and uh, you know, you were a uncle for the first day or two, and uh, you know that uh, that was uh, wasn't so much fun. But uh, it was good, you know, it was a good experience to to, to see what happens out on these islands and. Uh, you know, you felt good if you uh, performed a rescue and uh, saved somebody in trouble. So it uh, it was all good.
1: So how did someone from Porterville, which I'm sure has no lighthouses, <laughs> get involved in light keeping? <laughs> it's
7: a fine stories in the book. I, I come from a farming family. My dad's a farmer, farm right till he's 89 years old. But uh, I that was my career. I didn't choose that because it's hard work. It's, uh, daylight to dark. You get paid once in the fall, and that's it. So I was a well over five years, and uh, actually I had applied for, uh, I was on the waiting list to go aboard the Ocean Ranger. And uh, sadly, that, uh, that uh, went down, and I got a total switch on careers and just applied on a whim with the Canadian Coast Guard and uh, started in 1983 as a part-time lightkeeper and went on to 2006.
1: And the rest, as they say, is history.
7: <laughs> yes yeah it was a good experience you know to see to meet and uh the fishermen and and the boaters and and you know contact with them and uh you know just the the, the actual work and live on these remote light, uh lighthouses right uh that's you know I, I tell the story in my book and uh i tell about the, briefly the history of each lighthouse and some of the pioneer lightkeepers and and then the, the real life and uh, work on on these islands, right? Uh, what really went on there? So it uh, it's informative and and entertaining, right? It's, it it came pretty good once I started writing.
1: I don't want to give too much away because we want people to buy the book, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, <definitely>. uh, <laughs> if you had to isolate one single um, noteworthy incident, what what would it be?
7: One, hmm, there's so many. Uh, we had a mystery boat 1992 that uh, almost crashed into the rocks uh about two kilometers off from uh, the lighthouse and we spent uh, my partner and i spent uh three four hours talking to the to the boulder, got him got him back on track six he was in a 60 foot uh, longliner uh but totally confused totally out of it i don't know what what was going on that night but uh we were out for hours with the spotlight and the portable radio, got him back, safety uh, out of danger, guided him in, into the harbour at Exploit's Island, where there was a big government wharf, and he tied up there that night. Uh, and uh, the next morning, my co-worker walked in just uh, to meet him and chat to him see how they're doing. And the boat uh, mysteriously cut its ropes, never even tied its, its ropes. Uh, the next morning, it, it was gone, ropes cut less uh, tied onto their boat, and uh, it just took off. So I have no idea what was was going on, but I called the mystery boat.
1: How mysterious! <laughs> Did you ever find out any more after? No,
7: no, you no. They told me some details, but uh, I you know, I don't know. He said he came down from Labrador, but uh, who knows uh, what was going on, right? He could have he could have been up from Columbia.
1: Uh, <laughs> I hear you, yeah.
7: It was, it was a mystery.
1: Well, Barry, it's fascinating stuff. So the book is called?
7: Adventures of a Lightkeeper.
1: And it's available out there now?
7: It's available at uh, Flanker Publishers. It's available at Costco, Coles' Chapters, and uh, Herving's Orange Stores Orange Stor- Orange across Thailand.
1: Yes. Fascinating. I'll be picking up a copy. Thanks so much for your call this morning. Okay. Thank
7: you, Linda. Appreciate
1: it. All Bye-bye. We're going to come back right after this. Well, you talk about surprises. Uh, we have a cabinet shuffle today, believe it or not, uh, in the next hour or so. It's happening at 11 o'clock at Government House um, in the billiards room. I don't know if that's uh, significant or not uh, when you see all the little um, balls going around. But uh, we have a cabinet uh, shuffle. Uh, so I'm um, I don't know I didn't see that coming Dave did you see that coming so we'll have all the news there Uh, we're gonna have uh, somebody down there um, to um, cover all the news for us 11 o'clock this morning hopefully we'll be able to get uh, Brian Medore or Noah Shepherd to uh, give us an update in our 11 o'clock news so stay tuned for that Uh, we are going to go now to Ashley on line four hello Ashley good morning how are you I'm great how are you uh, besides my sore throat, I'm doing better than I was. Thank oh you. no! Oh no!
8: Yeah, I've been like this for three months. <laughs> oh dear. Oh Lord! But um, how
1: are you this morning?
8: I'm I'm very honored to be speaking with you this morning.
1: Well, I'm glad you're joining us, and I think I know who you are. Yes, I think you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. We will talk, one, But uh, <laughs> okay, I. Uh, Thank God I got
8: in. I've been trying to get a hold of you guys for a little while. Um, Thank God there's a cabinet shuffle this morning. Um, I'm having some issues with our health system. Okay, what's that now? Um, I got rushed to the hospital twice this weekend by ambulance. And I was put in waiting room for over 12 hours and not seen by doctor. Okay? Dear. Yeah, and where I'm just getting over my cancer and everything else. It's very tiring for me just sitting there after hours, after hours, after hours. So 1 o'clock that morning, I left. I got one of my friends to come get me, and I left. I was feeling fine, just tired. The next morning, got up fine. The following afternoon, I got rushed back to the hospital. And I was there for another 12 hours until I was seen. Like There was people there from, like, two days prior than I was. There's 80-year-olds coming in ambulances. There's people from jail coming in. The waiting list is not crazy. It's ridiculous.
1: And I don't say much anymore, but it's something's got to be done. So something's got to be done. So you're a cancer survivor. You've been encountering some health problems. Yes. And had to be rushed to hospital twice. So it, yes. Um, any resolution to what caused you to, you know, go to hospital? Uh, my, well, I have...
8: Um, Well, it had nothing to do with my cancer, thank God. Um, I went off my medication about three months ago, cold turkey. And that's kind of keeping me alive right now. And I wasn't doing good with my eating. And I was dizzy and blacking out. And Thank God, knock on wood, after almost 48 hours, I got checked
1: out and got back on my meds so I'm doing well. So doing well right um, now. now I guess you learn a little bit of a lesson there in, in how important the meds are. Yeah, but, like, the hospital is supposed to be
8: emergency, and there was people there double my age, triple my age. God, I love them. And that meant more pain than I was. Right. And I felt so bad. But I said I was calling in this morning. I had enough was enough. Yeah. Enough enough. So I how don't you, know, how are you doing now? I'm doing well. I'm going back to get my GED now, hopefully in September. Oh in good QM. for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But now my sister has cancer, so yeah. Besides that we're doing good. Oh my. Sorry yeah, to hear got, all that. Yeah.
1: She got stage two grade. Oh my goodness gracious.
8: Yeah, but like everything else is doing well, but the health system, they gotta do something
1: they got to do something. All right, Ashley, I really appreciate your call this morning and your your observations on what you've been through in the last little while. Um, I'd like to hear from others as well. I really appreciate your time. All right, thank you. You have a wonderful day, sweetheart. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. And we're going to go now to uh, Paul Walsh with the Autism Society. Hello.
9: Hello Linda, always good to talk to you.
1: Yeah, same to you. So um, of all the wonderful things that you're involved in and, and doing at all times, I understand you're planting as well as the, what's going on with this greenhouse idea. What's that all about?
9: Well, as anybody who knows our center, the Elaine Dobbins Center for Autism in St. John's, we have a lot of garden beds and a big greenhouse. And this time of year, it's kind of an idyllic place to be because there's so much greenery and so many things growing. Um, This year has been really special because as things have changed coming out of COVID, we've introduced a new adult program uh, called the Good Roots Adult Program. So right now, 17 adults are participating in working in and around the greenhouse, Uh, one group on Monday mornings and one on Wednesday afternoons and i and i hope i got that right it's either that or monday afternoon and wednesday morning one of the two and uh just been really great having those individuals around the center uh working with us and us working with them both uh, it involves the individual and if necessary their respite worker and they've been doing uh, tremendous work around the gardens to uh, to help with the work that goes on there and as you know our gardens feed Uh, our restaurant because we have a closed-loop restaurant so right now we've just introduced a summer menu at the pantry cafe and gardens that's featuring a lot of the fresh produce that's coming out of the greenhouses and uh, including a lot of basil and we're planting lots of basil and you might know that basil's been hard to come by around town recently so we're hoping that by August we'll have basil uh, basil available for sale to the public as well so there's a lot of good things happening uh, with the greenhouse with the restaurant I wanted to share with you as well uh, that we have happy hour on Fridays, every second Friday, beginning this Friday, on our beautiful back deck that overlooks the uh, the trail system in Pippi Park. And so after work on Friday, as opposed to trying to find a place to park downtown, we have lots of places to park, and you can drop onto the back deck and uh enjoy a beverage and something to eat and uh, relax after a long um, period of work
1: it is a um, beautiful location for anybody who hasn't been down that right. way and you've done a fabulous job of oh my goodness it's just it, it, it's such a, a peaceful place
9: it is really and we, we've've we've been lucky we've struck a, um, a number of partnerships recently with uh, with uh, local organizations McGinnis Cooper um Stantec Marco, and most recently the grand concourse authority and i 'm really pleased with the one with the Grand concourse because we all kind of coexist on that on that hill that is adjacent to uh, the um, the health sciences Center so the Grand concourse and their and their expertise are coming in and helping us with a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to the grounds because it's a it's a big property and uh, it's been great working with them in, in, a, in a community partnership together and it's made our uh our, our living area if you will uh even that much more beautiful so it's it's uh it, it's it's a tremendous uh, place to come visit um i encourage anyone to come by as i said for happy hour on friday or come by any day to the cafe and we're open monday to saturday have a coffee and just relax on on either the decks or wander around the greenhouses and the garden beds it's uh it's good for the soul
1: for sure and and by the sounds of it if you're you're if you're fueling or feeding the restaurant you must have a fair bit of yield
9: not too bad. We have 36 garden beds that we plant. So our greenhouse does all the the. Uh, Jeff Ronan, and our gardener does all the starting work around um, April, and we'll put in the a lot of the uh, a lot of lot of the, the materials that go into the garden beds during the year. And if you walk down just off the trail. You can see the garden beds there and everything that's growing there, the lettuce and the uh, the microgreens and whatnot. We also have uh, an extensive berry garden and even a fruit tree orchard. Uh, So there's a lot of produce that comes out. We (laughs) recently harvested more rhubarb than I've ever seen in my entire life that came out of one garden. Uh, I think a lot of people commented it's been a tremendous year on growing in general and rhubarb in particular, and there uh, been some interesting uh, rhubarb uh, lemonades and rhubarb cakes and rhubarb muffins coming out of the pantry recently. So um, we're, we're proud of the fact that we're an environmentally, socially, and financially sustainable social enterprise, that it's a, a field-to-table restaurant, that has a closed-loop system whereby we grow things, we use them, and we compost them and return them to the soil. Uh, and we're proud of the fact that it works to help autistic individuals find employment and to find activities that um, that benefit them as they move through life. Because it's important to recognize a lot of people, not a lot of people, but there's a lot of emphasis um, in the autistic community on children, which there should be. No question about that. But children grow up. So it's important that we have programming for adults and increasingly for seniors who are autistic. So uh, those programs uh, help. Put people on the road along with our employment programs our education programs towards building futures for themselves
1: well it sounds like fantastic uh, uh, programming Um, and Paul maybe I should dart down and get some gardening tips because my poor old garden is just not doing very well
9: (laughs) well uh, I'm uh, my my wife is a tremendous gardener I'm not so I'm always walking up to Jeff and saying Jeff Paul has another foolish question for you and uh, he's very approachable if anybody wants to to chat and uh, uh, it's like I said it's just it's nice just to walk through the garden sometimes it's uh it, it's, it, it can be very uh, very good for the soul like i said
1: absolutely uh, paul walsh a pleasure as always thank you
9: thank you very much great to talk to you again take All care
1: right. bye-bye bye and we're up to news time with brian Medor. cabinet at- shuffle is coming we'll have more right after this
5: join us for on target one hour in which linda swain examines topics that mean the most to you on target weekday afternoons at one on your vocm
1: And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is off uh, on vacation. And uh, of course, we're going to get news now in the next hour or so about uh, some kind of a cabinet shuffle. Um, Notification came down just minutes before 10 o'clock. We're going to have VOCM's Noah Shepard's going to be there with all the latest. Uh, That's fueling lots of speculation, of course. Uh, It seems to have struck a lot of people by surprise, myself included. Um, And it looks like uh, the uh, energy minister has an availability tomorrow with the federal minister um uh, sorry uh today or tomorrow i'm not sure uh anyway so i guess he's not involved in it so what could it be could it be the health portfolio could it be uh fisheries for instance anyway remains to be seen but we'll uh, keep you up to date on all of that as soon as we find out we're going to go now to conception harbor and mayor craig williams hello
0: Hey Linda, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you? Not too bad.
0: Not too bad. Uh, Linda, I'm calling today concerning some an initiative that's on the go this weekend in Mount Pearl and through uh, C, uh, Paradise and through CBS. It's the uh, Cycle for Sight of, uh, I guess, is a fundraiser for fighting blindness Canada. It's something that uh, we've been involved with now for the last five years. It's, the town uh,
1: or yourself?
0: Myself and my my deputy mayor. I originally got into it because my deputy mayor, who's uh, Lawrence Penny, suffers from retinitis prematosa, which is a genetic uh, eye disease. Um, And he is slowly losing his, his vision. So, you know, he was looking for someone to help with the coordination of this and uh you know I jumped on board because my my grandfather was was legally blind and uh so we've been involved with it uh, my my family Lawrence's family for the last I guess 5 years on a, well, I guess we we had a little uh delay with uh, with covid so we were doing it virtually we did it mostly in, in conception harbor but the, but the, this year it's back full steam and uh we're looking really looking forward to it hopefully we can uh we, you know we can have a better turnout than we did in previous years
1: uh, for sure so uh, and hopefully the the weather holds as it has been mm-hmm. doing it's uh, been fabulous lately so uh when and where does this take place
0: uh, you know what? it's it's it starts um we're starting at from the uh, Mount Pearl community center and we're traveling the trailway out far as I'm going to say steel cove and returning back, but there are, uh, you know, you can turn back whenever, whenever you want So, you know, obviously the, the more conditioned riders are, are doing the, the full route, but there are 10 and 25, uh, kilometer routes available. There's also a walk for, the, you know, three kilometers out the trailway, and you can come back. Uh, you know, there is a, a barbecue and stuff at the, at the finish line. And there's, you know, um, rest stops available on, on the routes. And we also have, um, Dr. Jane Green uh, speaking there, and she's um, she's probably Newfoundland's uh, expert on uh, you know hereditary eye diseases uh, in the Newfoundland area, and she's you know going going to give a uh, talk here. We 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 coincided this this year with the uh, I think the the optome, Canadian optometrists are actually having their convention here in St. John's this week. So we're uh, we coordinated with that, and we have have some of those riding uh, for for people who are uh, have problems with their sight. We do have tandem bicycles available, so if, and we do have uh, volunteers there to pilot those with the uh, with with people who are visually impaired.
1: So these are not road bikes; these are more like um, mountain bikes.
0: Well, there's some, 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 some of both. I guess I guess a hybrid bike can do it no problem. But we do it some of the um, the, the tandem bikes we have. Yeah, are are road bikes, and we'll have someone, you know, just to get, uh, you know, the visually impaired people that that attend, just get them used to, you know, and let them be able to try at that tandem bike if that's something that they're interested in.
1: How many people are typically involved? Um,
0: norm, normally, you know, we, we were doing doing great. We had about forty to fifty riders the year before COVID. Uh, then it started for uh, we for the last two years we went virtually uh, in St. John's. or actually in Conception Harbour we had about fifteen, mostly family members and stuff like that that did it. Last year we did about twenty kilometers through through the town. And uh, you know there was other people in in Newfoundland and St. John's that did it virtually as well. So, um, you know, normally we're we're up you know somewhere between the forty to fifty mark, and we're hoping to uh, you know get that higher this year and continue on next year.
1: Um. So, uh, do you have to register ahead of time? When does that happen? Yeah,
0: there's still there's still lots of time to register. The, the um, you know, on cycleforsight.ca, uh, you can register. There's a couple teams there. You can register as part of any of the teams there, or you can register, uh, you know, as a single individual. So it's uh, cycleforsight.ca, and it's uh, our event is Sunday, July 10th, at the uh, starting at the Mount Pearl Community Center.
1: Well, Fabulous! I hope you have a really great turnout and some really good weather to participate for the first time in uh, two years, I guess, in a real kind of way. Um, Craig Williams, thanks.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate the time. Thank you.
1: Already. Bye bye. Bye bye. We're going to take. Uh, I, I I'd say. Uh, because we're up to a break very closely. So we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll speak with uh, Keith Sullivan, president of the FFAW, coming up right after this. We're back. Uh, Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is on vacation. We're going to go now to Keith Sullivan, president of the FFAW. Hello, Keith.
10: Good morning, Linda.
1: Well, never a dull moment in the fishery, it seems.
10: No, well, with so many fisheries going on around this province, and particularly this time of year, there's there's not going to be a a dull moment no matter what. And obviously this year is no exception. Um, So many things to talk about, and I guess so little time with you, but... uh, first off uh we got an announcement on northern gulf cod on the west coast so i mean just you know uh the days after the 30th anniversary of a moratorium and you know rather than working with harvesters speaking with harvesters uh dealing with the real solution you see that the, you know the heavy hand of, of ottawa come down and just close a fishery no uh, comments about addressing the real problems and no consideration for what you're going to do for harvesters who are thrown out of work and loss of income again
1: uh, for sure and of course you know a, a lot of us would scoff immediately when somebody says uh, you know we're going to close the fishery for a year uh, we've been there done that uh, <laughs> we know how this lasts so where is the plan to rebuild the stock then
10: well, that's the problem. There is no real consideration of the issues. The fishing levels are extremely low. Uh, you know, fishing has not been the driver of of this stock at all. We know it's natural mortality and science will certainly, you know, back that up. And a lot of it, what we're seeing is seals. So kind of like closing the fishery, it's uh, it's as if, you know, that the the forest is on fire, and we're going to put a ban on uh, cutting Christmas trees to solve the problem. It is uh, it's unreasonable, unfair, and you're dealing with uh, people's livelihoods. So that's the problem. That's the disconnect in the decision making. Uh, you know, harvesters, you know, on on the west coast. Uh, certainly not saying that the uh, the cod stock would be where they'd like it to be. Uh, we've seen some positive signs, like actually the uh, The abundance of cod in the survey this past year was the highest it's been since the moratorium so uh there's there's smaller fish so there's some signs, but we do need rebuilding, but it's at the lowest. Uh, level ever, ever. but uh, you know, I don't think we've learned since those original moratoriums work and deal with harvesters and people, and we really need to address the real problems rather than just uh, you know uh, make an announcement, close the fishery, and think we have a job done. That's not the case.
1: And addressing uh, the real problems, as you put it, uh, requires uh, data, science, and we know some of the challenges that have been faced in um, fishery. Science in the last uh, little while, anyway, last year or so. Uh, so, where are we with that? Any any um, assurances from DFO or others that uh, we'll have a more fulsome uh, science scientific survey on all stocks this year?
10: It's it's not clear. Uh, I mean, there seems to be some investment. We got new vessels. What that transition to new research special vessels will look like. Um, you know, so certainly we're optimistic, but, uh, you know, people n- definitely don't have a lot of confidence considering what we've seen the last number of years and some of our most important uh, important surveys on all these species. So, again, I think this is where you work with harvesters more. In the surveys that we've been doing, we've been able to get that information. Like our, our you know most valuable one in the province on crab. The survey done by harvesters this year was the tool that was able to assess that stock. And, you know, uh, we saw the positive signs and people were able to uh, get some increases there. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's a little longer term look. Uh, but uh, certainly before I, I, I go, I want to also talk about uh, challenges. With other fisheries and particularly uh, people in the shrimp fishery some in plants have not worked a day this year and harvesters have not got a paycheck this year
1: yes and a lot of that is uh, stemming from the fish price setting panel and i've heard some people in the last little while say that that whole system is broken what, what is what is the i guess why are we seeing these huge problems this
10: year uh, well, I would say the, the the panel system, that's probably the easiest answer. And I think the recent decision on shrimp uh, was a terrible, uh, you know, uh, an unbelievably poor decision by this panel, and we've said as much, uh, but we've been asking for more information for the panel to be able to deal with more transparent information, information on yields from the fish, because fish processing companies continuously just uh, you know give the wrong information, knowingly wrong information on product yields, for example, in arbitrations to the panel. But I will just say, remove the panel from this situation. What fish companies have done this year, panel or no panel, uh, they just are too concentrated and are basically going back to the the old merchant days to say, uh, you know, sea cucumber, we don't like the price. We're not buying. Capelin, we're not going to buy. All these species, we're not going to buy. And to use shrimp as an example, so uh, the FFAW price, was a dollar thirty-six we put uh, put in, which was really more or less in alignment markets. And how we ha- how do we have the evidence of this? We know in Quebec, Quebec fishermen fishing in Newfoundland waters go back get a dollar thirty-six in Quebec. We know that harvesters in Newfoundland have gone. To Nova Scotia and got paid a dollar thirty-four and a dollar forty-five for the shrimp. Yet here they're saying that ninety cents is enough for the fishermen. So the the problem is with you know that the control, the ultimate control that the processing sector have here, and you know uh, the, the competition is the root of the issue. We can improve the panel system, and we've said that we need to do that. But it really has to be issues done with uh, the way the processing. In companies they seem to be able to operate here, treat uh, you know harvesters as poorly as they would like, and operate with impunity. We had you know eight hundred people on the steps of the Confederation building telling the ministers that these were the issues we 've had follow up meetings with ministers, including the premier, and not one thing has been done about this issue, so uh, we really need something done while companies are able to get access to shrimp. We know Royal Greenland and Saint Anthony are buying more expensive uh, shrimp from offshore companies and producing it while starving out inshore harvesters, and we need provincial government to step up and start to deal with some of these major problems.
1: Cabinet shuffle today. Do you expect changes in the fisheries portfolio?
10: Uh, perhaps you know some of that. Uh, some of that inaction may be, maybe a part of it. I re I really don't know. I think I'm. Uh, I'm I'm like you had said, like you had said on the introduction, it's like we we don't know. I have not heard any information about who might be moving or if we have new new people entering the cabinet. So I guess we'll have to wait and see in the next half an hour or so.
1: Keith Sullivan, I appreciate your time. Thank you.
10: Thank you very much. All right.
1: Bye-bye. Lots of things facing the fishery these days, as you have just heard, and much more besides. We are going to go now to Rhonda. You're on the air. Hi there. Can you hear me? I can. Hi there. Um
4: yeah, I have a very frank message for the federal and provincial government of the of uh, our province here and of Canada. Uh, my mom is has a very severe She's in hospital right now. She's in a very dangerous situation with her heart. She's had a pacemaker put in, and there's been attempts three times with three errors. And right now, the pacemaker's out. Her wound is open, and she almost went septic, and she's fighting for her life. And she still has no assurance when they put in the pacemaker uh, in three days or or so that they're not going to make a mistake. And there's no reassurances at all. Uh, what could happen to her and my little children are absolutely devastated that their grandma might not come out of the hospital and me as her daughter with a strong firm voice I am sending a strong message and a very firm one to the federal and provincial government that this is inhumane and she's been barbarized and tortured and her quality of life and there's been so much neglect and there's been so many mistakes and
1: none of it is necessary so you just outlined some of the situation that your mother's facing with her pacemaker and she has to have it replaced you you say well right now my mom needs a pacemaker to
4: live and the pacemaker's taken out right now so she's sitting there with an open wound so what led to that no pacemaker what led to that was three different times with three different errors with doctors where they never done it properly. And then the third time was an infection that they never even followed up on properly. And now she almost went septic. So it's it's very, it's very a very inhumane, gruesome, raw. I, I can't even explain what a nightmare this is right now. My mom sitting in there like that fighting for her life. And still I don't feel we have the reassurances that, you know, going forward that things are going to be done right or anything, you
1: know? And so what led to these errors? Was it doctors who were not accustomed to her or what happened? Well, I'll blame it on the system,
4: first of all. I'll go to the top, which is federal government, and then provincial. And then I will go to doctors. and. The problem is the, the leads weren't put in enough, the, 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 the amount of leads that should have been connected weren't done the first time. The second time, they knocked off a lead and never put it back, and then she wasn't well. And the third time, she had an infection, which never got carefully enough followed on, and now she's almost septic, my mom, and she's in fighting for her life. And none of it should have happened. My mom should be home. So she's awaiting her grandchildren.
1: So she's awaiting a, a, a pacemaker to be reinstalled um, in a wound that it. They're, I guess, they're trying to treat. Um, so where well, where does it all stand she's now? She's full
4: of infection. They can't put it in right now because her whole body almost went septic. So she's she's there with the open wound and full of infection. Oh my dear. And we don't even know if there's damage enough now done to the heart that they may not even be able to do it. And also on the ambulance, there's times that they shocked her heart, and that may have caused damage now to the valve. So, like, we, she's just sitting there with an open wound to her heart right now, full of
1: infection, all neglect. You know? Rhonda, that's, uh, that's a rough story. Um, are you in the St. John's region? Is she at the health sciences? She or? is. Yeah, she's yeah. in there right now. Yeah. Wow.
4: And I'd love to give her name there. And I want to meet with chief of staff. I want to meet with whoever I had to meet with. I'm being very frank, and I'm her strong advocate here right now. This is systemic issues, and it's inhumane. And to say they're going to have two more med students at the at the at the the med school here with the situation with the hospital is absolute joke. And I can't believe in the year 2022 what living conditions we're living under and 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 we're supposed to be a developed country we are not what a joke there and is I want my mother tended to with top top of the line service there and i want to tend to right now and yesterday they had the gauze out from her open wound and she was cr- screaming out just like someone dying it was her raw heart and the dry gauze was coming and i wanted to the, the scab specialist or whatever her name is but she didn't come and of course just a nurse did it and what my mother went through for 15 minutes with them hauling it off Raleigh off her heart i'll never forget
1: there I'll is never, ever forget. a um patient um uh, you know a place where patients can um register their you know concerns and that sort of thing through eastern health have you gone through that route I'm going the route of
4: public. Next it'll be NTV. Next it'll be a lawsuit. I'm not. I'm. I'm voicing here vocally right now. I got to go back in now after I get off this call and to be with my mother. Right? She could die anytime. So, I, I'm. I'm on speaking with my voice for my mom because she's too weak to speak. So I want that message sent out loud and clear, and I want things done properly with her. And I want her to get what she entirely she, totally get, And I want her to have safely have the best of care so that she walks out of the hospital alive and with a quality of
1: life. Rhonda, we wish you help. nothing but the best. You and your mom uh, appreciate your call this morning. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you.
5: Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM.
1: And a bit of a surprise. Cabinet shuffle coming in the next half hour or so. We'll have all the details on that. But uh, the fact that there was absolutely no hint of this, it seems to have taken everybody by surprise. Um, might lead one to believe. You can only speculate that uh, there are some pretty significant changes coming. Um, could it include the health portfolio? Um, I'd like to hear what people have to say about that. Certainly we'll have all the details as they come down uh, coming up in the next half hour or so. The the key, of course, is watching uh, which ministers are coming into a government house. Uh, so uh, VOCM's Noah Shepherd is there and we'll be following his Twitter feed to find out who's there, who's not there, uh, those kinds of things to help uh, give you some sense of what might be happening. So, We're going to go now to Shirley. You're on the air. Hi. Hi, Shirley. How are you? Great. How are you? Um,
11: pretty good. It's my first time calling, but I, I
1: probably will be confused. Oh, don't but worry I've- about it. You just uh, talk to me as if I was normal.
11: <laughs> the reason I'm calling because I was, it's about the health science. I'm I'm sick of listening to stuff about the, the health issues, but it's not a health issue. I was wondering if there's, like, is there anything going to be in the budget to upgrade the hospital in the future? I never hear anything about it. I always listen, but I never hear anything, and I don't have too much experience with the hospital, But I had to go there last evening. My sister was admitted yesterday. And uh, it's not a health issue that I'm complaining about. And So she was there from, well, whatever time. I know it all takes time with tests and whatever. She was there from uh, probably 12 o'clock. And then they put her in a room around 7 o'clock, probably 6 o'clock. Anyhow, that's not the that's not the concern. But the the room they put her in is the concern.
1: All right. Well, what was wrong with uh, the room
12: then?
11: The room, the room, the room was such a shock. The room was such a shock that I I called the nurse in and I said, "Does and my sister is very ill, very ill." I said, "Do my sister have to stay in this this room?" She said, "We don't have any other room to put her in." Now, they did have her in a smaller room before, and they had to take it out to put somebody else in there. Maybe it was more equipment in there that they needed. She didn't explain it, but that's not the issue either. So when I went I went in, and I looked up, and it was the ceilings were falling down. And there was plastic. Where the ceilings were falling down, there was plastic falling down, and there was this like white where where the air conditioning was and it was blowing like little white specks around around the room. And my sister looked up and and she's really, really, really ill. She said, Oh, I think it's snowing and I said, No ma no Sandra I said, Oh, I shouldn't say names. I said, No my dear, it's not snowing, I said. That's the dust. Coming from the the insulation underneath, where the plastic was falling down, over a ceiling that's all taped with duct tape, white tape. The doors are taped with tape, duct tape, white tape. Um, it, it, it's like I was going into um, some kind of a war zone that had been destroyed, and they were trying to patch it up to to get. And this is a waiting area, and she may be in the until she gets to bed. we don't know how long she's going to be in that room, and she said she was going to, she said, "I think I'll have a heart attack today. I'm too distressed. I can't stay here i can't stay. I'm afraid to stay by myself. That's how bad the room is. The floor was so bad, the floor was so dirty you wouldn't put your your animals in there. You wouldn't definitely put your animals in there and I mean, so the floor was dirty with you,
1: this this dust that was coming down from the ceiling so the floor was dirty with the dust that was coming down from the ceiling oh no 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 you couldn't see the
11: dust when it fell because the floor is it's a it's a white tile floor but it's all this black dirty black black all over so i called in somebody that said well we can wash it it doesn't come off but the floor wasn't the issue as much as the ceiling's falling down and 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 the bags, the plastic bags, falling with with the holes in the ceiling. The plastic bags were all. Well, one bag was down at least um, a foot. At least a foot hanging, hanging. So, like,
1: did it look like damage, or did it look like they were doing some kind of renovations?
11: They had they had started something when the the virus was on to take take. They took the ceilings, some of the ceilings down. But then they just patched them with tape, and now the stuff is all falling down, and it's and it's there to put people in while they're waiting for it to go, you know, while they're waiting in emergency.
1: Well, that can't leave a, a patient or their family feeling very secure or confident.
11: She was crying. She was crying. She, her husband had to stay on late, and she said. You know, a woman, don't ask him he's there all night, especially in an emergency, and and he's been up since 3 o'clock the morning before. And uh, that would have been all night. He he, phoned me 8 o'clock this morning. I said, is she still there in that room? He said, yes. And I asked, could they move her? But they didn't have a place to move her. I mean, I can't say anything about that. But I said, you know, it would be better to be out in the corridor than in this. I didn't mind the room. Being as bad the floor, but you would never be able to walk on this in your naked feet or anything. I said, make sure you have your shoes or your slippers on because there's no way you can walk on this floor I mean, I took pictures of the room I said I couldn't believe that i was am in a in I'm in a hospital and I listened about millions and millions and millions of dollars for this and that and something else, and the hospital is parts of it are falling down. Parts are, this part is falling down, and and they came in. Well, when I when I complained about it, there was two lots of people came in. I don't know if there were maintenance and took pictures and said they were sorry. And I said, well, I'm not, I can't. I mean, it's nothing you, you can do about it. But why put a person in here? Why not have the door
1: closed? Do you mind sending us pictures of of the? ceiling in that room. well my dear I look I'm going to send I'm going to send
11: a picture of those the, that room because that that room is it, it's not it's disgraceful it's totally disgraceful I, I, I said my father had burn, a burn with animals in it and the burn was much more presentable to walk into than this hospital room a hospital room that sick people have to go into
1: Send us uh, your pictures, if you will, feedback at vocm.com. Okay, okay. I appreciate that.
11: Because, I mean, you, you would have, your own eyes would have to see it to believe it. My sister said when they were wheeling her through, she saw, because she was on, on the stretcher, of course, she said she was looking at things. She said they must be wheeling me through a renovation. They're doing renovations when they stopped the bed and started to hook up her her things. And she said, do, do I have to stay here? And they said yes, and she started to cry. She said, I actually have to stay here. And I said, when I think when I think of all the millions of dollars, I, I listen to all the millions of dollars, and that, that health signs have, have rooms that people have to stay in like that, I don't think people know it. The government can't know it. Or do they? I mean, when Premier Fury got in, I figured, well, he was a doctor. He's going to pick up on everything in the hospital because he, he worked there. I said to the, the nurse, I said, if somebody, I said, if Premier Fury came in here tonight, just admitted like my sister, and they had no place to put him, do you think he would stay in this
1: room? I said, I wouldn't stay in this You'd have
11: to put me out in the corridor. I would not stay in it.
1: Shirley, I'm glad you brought this to uh, to the public's attention. And uh, do send us those pictures if you can. Feedback at VOCM.com. I sure will. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to speak with the Minister of Seniors. Sorry, Children, Seniors, and Social Development, John Abbott. I'm guessing he's not part of the Cabinet Shuffle uh... coming up right after this well we've got a bit of a hint anyway of what's coming up now at eleven o'clock with this uh... cabinet shuffle that no one was really expecting uh... tom osborne is there so is john Haggy. could they be trading portfolios perhaps Um uh Tom Osborne is currently education minister, but he did hold the health uh, portfolio, you may recall, back under the PC uh, administration under Danny Williams, was it at the time? Uh, Anyway, yes, it was. Um, So uh, who knows? Maybe they're trading portfolios. Uh, They are there. Uh, John Abbott, however, is not. He's on the air with us now. Hello.
13: Good morning, Linda. How are
1: you? I'm good. Well, you are one busy minister. It, uh, we talk about it in the newsroom all the time. You're at everything, everywhere, all the time.
13: Well, thank you. Well, I view that as part of my job, certainly in representing the community sector, when where I can get out to community events, support uh, the volunteers, and right throughout the province, I uh, certainly look forward to those opportunities. And it's been quite uh, rewarding for the, the response that I do get uh, when uh, when when I'm out there. This week we uh, met uh, based on the work that the uh, Legion and uh, Dominion on Black Marsh Road uh, they uh, hosted uh, a large. Group group of our new Ukrainian uh, (laughs) friends who moved here. And again, it was a great uh, community event.
1: So there's some challenges in your portfolio, of course, uh, housing being one of them, and we can talk about that in a moment if you like. Uh, But uh, there's some good news as well that you wanted to pass on because you've recognized some people for some uh, pretty significant uh, achievements.
13: Well, thank you, Linda. Yes, uh, one of the things I wanted to do today was just to highlight our Seniors of Distinctions Award that we've announced uh, this week. That's an annual uh, event that uh, we do where we seek nominations from the community of uh, seniors who've really contributed significantly to their communities and have been recognized by their peers. So uh, we do an application process. People are uh, recommended. We do. Uh, we have a committee that looks at those uh, applications, and then uh, a list of names are presented to me. And this year, if I can quickly uh, announce who they were, it's uh, Barbara Ellis of St. John's, Rosie Lucy of Hopedale, Elizabeth uh, Murphy of St. John's, Wayne Knoll of St. Anthony, uh, Eldon Swire of Little Rock. Rap- on the west coast and uh, Bryson Webb of Porta Basque. Also we are, this is the first time we've done this is a posthumous award to uh, George uh, Doyle of uh, St. Lawrence and I've had the opportunity to speak to uh, his wife and she was uh, really pleased uh, and, and honored that we recognized the work that uh, George did for, for the community of St. Lawrence uh, over the years so it's uh, uh, very uh, humbling on my part to, uh, to be able to do that.
1: Nice to see that kind of- of recognition as well, the Seniors of Distinction awards is a great idea uh, because so many seniors are are still uh, making such a huge contribution to their uh, communities.
13: Absolutely, and uh, and continue as of course as our society is getting older, we are going to rely more and more on our seniors to to actually do to do more, contribute more, and do some of the heavy lifting. But it's great when we can uh, recognize uh, them uh, individually for for their efforts, and we will have a public event. Uh, uh, in when the awards are presented in Dare Lake in uh, in September, and they will be there with, uh, with their family members. And, Linda, the other thing I wanted to mention today as well, we've also announced that we have uh, formalized and put the membership in place for our new Accessibility Standards Advisory Board, and that... Uh, uh, board was established as a result of our new groundbreaking legislation around accessibility uh, there, which we passed in the House of Assembly last fall. Uh, we used the winter and spring then to seek uh, uh, applications for people who are interested in serving on the board. Uh, cabinet approved that uh, this spring. And we've uh, this week also announced the, the membership uh, of that board, which will be chaired by Debbie Ryan h- here of St. John's.
1: And I think most people uh, absolutely agree that uh, you know uh, accessibility standards uh, have to be met uh, throughout the province. But the reality is, is, there is there is a cost involved, especially in established buildings that were built before um, some of these standards were in place. Uh, so how do you address that? How, as a department, do you do you help businesses and organizations along who want and 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 need to put in um, the proper accessibility, but the costs are are so great?
13: Well, we will continue to work with the, with the private sector uh, in making the changes that are necessary. It's also a big challenge for all our public buildings uh, as well throughout the province. So we've started again in earnest because of this legislation now to get a plan in place so that over the next number of years uh, that we will be able to modify our buildings to make them fully accessible. And the Standards Board will actually then go sector by sector by sector to look at what's, uh, what standards should be in place to ensure that persons with disabilities have, you know, basically free and unfettered access uh, to to the services, whether it's a physical uh, barrier or a service barrier or a communications barrier. Even something as I'll say as simple, but it's not as simple as one would think, is that making sure on our electronic communications, on our websites, that we are conscious that people who have sight or hearing uh, disabilities can uh, can access our website because we're obviously we're using uh, the websites and internet to communicate most of uh, government activities. So uh, the onus will be on us to make sure those standards are in place. How businesses receive uh, customers uh, and there are different uh, provinces across the country have put standards in place. We'll be able to uh, adopt and, uh, and adapt those for the Newfoundland and Labrador context. So that board now will have the responsibility to do all of that, make recommendations to, to me as minister. I will then bring them forward to to cabinet for approval. And then they become really a set of regulations that uh, requires businesses, nonprofits, uh, the government itself to abide by those standards.
1: And will you be giving people, I mean, will you have inspectors or is it complaints driven? Um, How will that work?
13: it will be a bit of both and um, we will uh, we will uh, be using inspectors we will respond to complaints when the, once a standard is uh, developed there could be penalties if uh, if uh, individuals or uh, organizations uh, don't comply now that's you know down the road and we certainly don't want to see that as uh, the end game we really want to make sure through uh, developing the standards in consultation with each of the sectors that they will be uh, uh, accepted and and honored and then we'll obviously do awareness and education and planning to make sure that the businesses and uh, community organizations can uh, can abide by by those. So it's it's going to be a long process, but we know we've got a lot of work uh, already underway, and we'll be working with the Canadian Standards Association, other jurisdictions who already have these in place, so that we uh, we will be in a good good place uh, in a couple of years time at the outside. And I'm seeing this as really a game changer in promoting the rights of uh, persons with disabilities in this province, and I think that's how they're they're seeing it as well
1: for certain and I mean universal design is such a uh, an amazing concept and um, uh, great for new builds but uh, difficult for existing um, properties so how would a a business be able to prioritize then uh, what because like I said there's a cost involved in all of this so um, I guess uh, basic accessibility uh, people being able to enter a business or a uh, an establishment is is I guess, priority number one?
13: Uh, that would be part of this for sure. And we also have a separate piece of legislation around building accessibility. And that has been reviewed. And I know there are recommendations in front of the uh, Minister Studley on potential changes to that legislation to really enhance uh, building accessibility. Uh, but it's also, it will be uh, sort of captured under our work as well. And we know that working with uh, with the private sector, making at least, the, the I'll call it the minimum or basic, accessibility uh, provisions put in place, i.e. access to uh, uh, to uh, premises, make sure the uh, bathroom facilities are accessible, uh, counters are, you know, lowered, those kinds of things where uh, where it makes sense to do. Uh, there's also a reality that some of our older buildings that may not be f- made fully accessible, but it will be made uh, where they can, they will uh, will uh, will do that. Uh, so that's uh, part of this, but really for those new organizations, new buildings, buildings. Uh, you mentioned universal design. That's a, It's a great concept. It's a simple concept. And in building houses today, uh, we would and certainly encourage any builder to make sure that the universal design principles are in place so that you have wide doors, wider hallways, wider um, access to bathroom facilities. So it's uh, as our uh, society ages, that people can actually stay in place and they're not hindered because, oh, the bathroom's uh, access is not wide enough, the hallways aren't wide enough, there's too many stairs, those kinds of things. So that's uh, uh, something the Newfoundland Labrador Housing Corporation is currently incorporating in all its uh, n- new builds uh, from, from here on in.
1: Now, I wanted to talk to you about the housing crunch, because it's absolutely important. It's at the, t- the top of every headline nowadays. Um, have you time after the news to today- to come back with us and and discuss that? Yes, absolutely. All right, we'll put you on hold, and we'll be back right after this. We have a cabinet shuffle underway. Uh, John Abbott, not part of it, but uh, Tom Osborne and John Haggie are definitely there. Uh, So we'll have more of that coming up uh, momentarily.
5: Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break.
1: And John Hagee and Tom Osborne are switching portfolios. It has happened at Government House. VOCM's Noah Shepard is there. Tom Osborne did previously hold the uh, health portfolio some years ago. Uh, so he's familiar with the portfolio. Of course, there's a lot going on as you've been hearing on VOCM Open Line uh, over the last uh, number of weeks. Uh, John Haggy has held on to the health portfolio for quite some time now, I think since he was first elected, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a pretty long stint in one single portfolio. Anyway, thoughts on that? By all means, give us a call. Now, we were speaking with the Minister of Children, Seniors and Social Development, John Abbott just before the break. And John, I'd be Remiss if I didn't mention this um, rental housing crisis uh, that a lot of people are talking about—the real crunch in trying to get housing for a lot of people. Uh, what's the situation out there,
13: well, Linda? It, there's no doubt the, uh, there is a very tight rental market, and it's there's a number of factors at play here. One of which, of course, is uh, over the past couple of years, certainly through the COVID period, uh, we didn't have the building uh, the housing starts uh or apartment buildings uh under construction uh and now we're we're well behind in uh, meeting some of the demand. I was at uh, last week uh with the federal minister and my provincial colleagues uh just comparing how this was happening right across the country and it looks like each each jurisdiction is uh, facing very many of the same challenges. So what we're going to do here is working certainly with the Newfoundland Labrador Housing Corporation uh, to make sure we can uh, find as many units as possible for those who are on our wait list. Uh, we're providing rent supplements for for those uh, where, who can find apartments, albeit that's, the apartments are tight uh, in terms of numbers, and then we'll look at what we can do in terms of new construction. Uh, we have some uh, projects in the planning stage, so we'll accelerate those now uh, to get them them started. Uh, and we'll certainly be relying on the private market to uh, to help where where we can. So that's it's uh, a big challenge, and uh, we'll uh, but we'll be working closely with uh, with the communities involved and the individuals involved to make sure nobody is uh, left out on the street.
1: What are the wait lists like now?
13: Well, in terms of our units there's I think our wait list now is up to two thousand the, the those people will will be housed somewhere else, but they would look to move into our units were but to help that, we do have rent. Supplements that help people to stay in the private market and we will continue to expand on that. Uh, we're continuing to renovate our units to make them more uh, usable for, for families, particularly seniors, so we, so we allow people to, to stay in place so that they, they don't, don't have to move. And I know the federal government is looking at some uh, measures as well to ease the, the cost of housing uh, for, for individuals
1: we uh, we spoke earlier about the seniors of distinction award but seniors arguably are among the hardest hit uh, during all of this these ma- massive changes that are happening in society post covid now especially with the rising cost of living and I know some uh, supplements are out but not all seniors are eligible for that uh, and some of the increases that come with that um, so how and we've been hearing about seniors who are sitting and languishing in in hospital hallways and in rooms that are not meant for patients and and things like that as they await health care so I, I mean how are we doing when it comes to senior uh, care and 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 how they're treated
13: the, the the challenges facing our seniors, uh, as you've identified, are, are significant, though we are working through uh, both in terms of making sure individuals that are seniors who are in the hospital that can move back uh, to, back to their homes. So we have a home-first policy. We're supporting that. We're working with our personal care homes to make sure that they're accessible, and uh, that's been a great uh, program and support, and certainly our, our nursing homes. So we're all you know looking through uh, all of that. Part of the challenge, of course, is there is a shortage of healthcare professionals, whether it's physicians or, or nurses or even home care support workers. Uh, so we we were trying to work through all of those issues on that front. At the Housing Corporation, uh, we have programs in place, to, again, to help modify people's homes to make sure that they can stay in place, and uh, that's been quite successful, and we continue to, uh, to make sure that uh, we can respond as quickly as possible. And I'll go back to the rent supplement program we have to make sure the seniors, if they have to move, and uh, they can find something that's more uh, accessible for them, for instance, we'll help them uh, move as well.
1: And what about the whole idea of ageism? Because I hear people raise it, and I mean, you know, hopefully we all reach those ages uh, in our lifetimes, but uh, I I keep hearing from uh, people who are seniors or who are moving into their senior years saying, you know, ageism is a very real thing.
13: And we're we're trying to combat that wherever we can in terms of our awareness and education at the community level uh, in our programming and services. One of the programs that we sponsor and support is what we refer to as uh, Age-Friendly Communities. And uh, I was in Clarenville there last month uh, where we worked uh, and have been working supporting uh, the Clarenville uh, Town Council and the uh, 50-plus club there in making sure that their community is as age-friendly as possible. So they have mounted a program working with the business community to have a sort of an identification or award program to which uh, businesses are most age-friendly, and then they'll be recognized, uh, you know, with a with a particular uh, logo, so that will help uh, people recognize that, yeah, we're here to support you no matter what age you are. And they've come up with a how-to. Uh, the toolkit to, to do that. So that's one of the examples that uh, we've, uh, we're encouraging right across, uh, across the province. We're looking at age-friendly uh, transportation systems. Uh, we're working with uh, the communities on that front. So wherever we can in our role to combat ageism is to make sure we've got the programs and services in place so that people can age in place and that the community uh, looks at this in a positive way and how to encourage uh, seniors to stay in their homes, in their communities, uh, for for the long term.
1: John Abbott, I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much.
13: Well, thank you, Linda, and all the best to your listeners.
1: Same to you. Bye bye. And we're going to go now to the MP for St John's East, Joanne Thompson. Hello, Joanne. Hello. How are you? Good. So, how are you settling into it all? Actually, quite well.
14: I'm so excited that I'm back in uh, the riding for the summer. I have absolutely miss spending um, focused time at home, and, and I'm quite excited to have a busy schedule where I will be in the riding during the summer. And I can tell you I've missed it, and I really enjoy having the opportunity now to be out and about and really begin to connect with people again face-to-face, which is, of course, quite wonderful.
1: The last um, number of months in Ottawa in particular have been a bit challenging, as we all know, and I I noticed a story recently uh, involving uh, panic buttons that are are available for MPs, and you've availed yourself of that. What, uh, What prompted all of that? Well, you know, I, th- I think it's it's obviously
14: it was something that was offered. I think it's it's another form of protection of personal security, and and Ottawa um, is for me quite different than Saint John's. I mean, Saint John's is home, Saint John's East. The I'm quite comfortable here. I'm quite comfortable in Ottawa, but it is, and, and during the winter, it was a slightly more heightened um, place for, for tensions, and certainly. Uh, walking you know, early in the morning and late at night, it, it wasn't added security. So I was quite grateful to have the, um, you know, to have that as part of a broader toolkit. But, um, but, you know, again, I, I do have to say the opportunity to represent the people of this riding is indeed privilege. And so, uh, you know, and I take that quite seriously. And so if I have to enhance my personal protection to, to be able to do this work, like that's really, um, again, something that I'm quite happy to take on. But the, the buttons are an added protection. I mean, there's no doubt about it, especially if you know, you're not in your neighbor, your own neighborhood. So I, I was quite pleased to be able to have the opportunity to um, to have one with me.
1: When people are considering uh, running for politics, I'm sure um, uh, some of what evolved in in Ottawa was farthest from anyone's mind. Uh, but you know, we were there; we ha- we saw it. Uh, you lived through it. Um, was it an eye opener for you?
14: I think it's always an eye opener. I think Linda, in fairness, it it really underscored for me why I had put my name forward you know, um the people that that I meet in the riding, the individuals I met during the election, the um the residents of you know the the area that, that I've known throughout my life living in um, the St. John's area, this doesn't represent who we are, you know, and, and I but but there is um there, there is a tension um across the globe and I believe but it also really um, says for all of us, we need to be careful. We We can't slide into a place where it becomes very easy to... Uh, use haste mail to make a point to see someone who holds a different opinion as your enemy um, to fall into a place where the the you know the other person becomes a nameless um, source of um, being able to target with frustration I mean we are more than that and I believe that leadership is incredibly important right now and I, I certainly continue to offer that um, and in no way do I feel that as a society um, uh, that it's okay to, to fall into a place where differences of opinion become um, uh, points of um, separateness in, in, in that we become enemies rather than uh, colleagues?
1: It is extraordinary. One time you could have a differing opinion and everybody got along. Um, You know, so what has happened? Are we losing touch with civil society or what is it social media that's ramping this up? Is it world events, uh, um, you know, culture from other places, i.e. south of the border, political culture, if you will, uh, making its way here? What, What do you suppose might be part and parcel of all of this?
14: You know, I would say all of the above, which is why individually I think we need to be incredibly careful that it it doesn't become something that on an individual basis we fall into. I mean, it's definitely all of the above. And social media, you know, it's really easy in a moment of frustration to just hit that button and send something um, to another person or organization that you would never say face-to-face, and and that's sort of always the pause for me when I say this, if I was speaking to you in person, um, and, you know, do that counter, step back and send it the next day. Whatever it is, you know, you have to do, but it's small actions, but it's a slippery slope if, if we fall into a place where I can just, in that moment of um, tension or anger or frustration, say what I want to say through a social media platform. Um, we do fall into a place where I believe we lose some of our um, civil engagement and respect, which is really who we are, I believe, as as a country, and certainly in Newfoundland and Labrador as a province. Um, So, yeah, I think we all need to be very, very mindful. And we are in a time um, of heightened challenges and and the challenges are all around us and it's very real to be afraid and it's uncertain and it's a difficult it's it's no doubt it's a difficult time but but it's also an opportunity um to work together to to really come to the solutions that are intended to to move us forward as as a place and as a country And, uh, and and i think there's very little to be gained by falling into um into the the fear and anger that, you know, we are seeing as that common response far far too often, um, certainly south of our border, and we need to be mindful that it doesn't become the first point of interaction.
1: That uh, politics of division is really... um I don't know, uh, poisoning the well, so to speak. Uh, Joanne Thompson, I look forward to speaking to you again uh, in the uh, coming weeks as uh, you get more entrenched back in the riding uh, during the summer months and uh, involved in in uh, local events and issues. I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Linda. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Take care now. All righty bye-bye and we'll take a short break we'll be back right after this so John Haggy is out as Health Minister Tom Osborne is in that is the full sum total of the cabinet shuffle announced this morning and I'm sure there will be lots of people looking to weigh in on that in the uh, coming days we're gonna go now to Rhonda you're on the air hi Rhonda hi how are you Linda good how are you oh not too bad considering what's up
15: (laughs) I was listening to Minister Abbott, and um, myself and my husband, we live with my parents, and uh, we're both sick, and I'm in a battle of cancer as well, and I have two elderly parents who are both uh, devices in their chest and sick, and... um, we're supposed to be uh, cohabiting, uh, sharing all the bills and whatever comes into the household, right? Whatever problems that goes on, we're supposed to share half and half. Um, we're on assistance. Uh, my husband received CPP, so uh, we don't get a whole lot of assistance. But um, nonetheless, we're living under $1,000 a month
1: how and on earth are you able to survive on that i can't and i cannot get help john
15: abbott has had uh his team for 7 months straight looking to come up with some answers for us and god love god love the girls that was working on our file they done their utmost but everything is policy 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 and mr abbott was talking about um 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 doing up uh apartments and everything else i have begged I have begged the government to help us out um I can utilize the basement in our home uh downstairs has a bathroom, and we had to put the bathroom in downstairs for me for cancer treatments. I need a bathroom to myself and um You know, um, everything is expected of my parents. Uh, My parents are to take care of us. They can't take care of us. They're barely getting by like every other senior citizen in the province. It's sad when senior citizens are looked at. Oh, well, you can do this and you can do that. But a lot of them go and hang out at the mall to save on their heat, though. And Carboneer is known for it. That mall is known for it and is so sad. And I can't get any help. Here I am. I have disabilities, physical and and mental health disabilities. I'm dealing with cancer. I have a a husband who has um, PTSD and a cognitive disorder. And it's only going to get worse for him. And we cannot get any help from the government whatsoever.
1: Um, So, what kind of a a help are you looking for? Are you looking for um, um, whatever help I can get? Greater benefits or uh, some of these accommodations in your home? Great.
15: Like, we can't afford to go to the supermarket and just walk in and pick up what we need. if we go to a supermarket, um, you shop a sale, right? And that's if you have money when the sales are on. Like it is sad, and like to expect my elderly parents to pick up the tab on two two adults is ludicrous. They're barely making it themselves, right? They wouldn't be able to go out and pay rent and keep up with everything.
1: Have you been in contact with your
15: MHA? I have been in contact with my MHA. I have I have danced around every department and I'm I'm sorry but I'm gonna say this. I'm glad the portfolio is changed when it comes to Doctor Haggy. I you know, I could not get any sense from that department at all. Like, you know, he done done well when COVID was on the go. But, like, you know, as a minister, like, you know, you have to have someone with compassion in these departments. And I know friends of mine who know Mr. Abbott. And, like, he is a very nice gentleman. Very nice. And... um but, like you know, myself and my husband are falling through the cracks, like I have a basement down there that can be done for me you know it doesn't it's not a big deal like it's all insulated and everything like it's not a it's not a whole lot of work, but we just can't like under under a thousand dollars, we cannot simply afford to do what we can't even afford to help out with my parents. yeah, And my parents are suffering because of it.
1: Rhonda, yeah. uh, I appreciate your call this morning. We're up to news time now. Uh, um, all the best to you. Keep the fight up. Uh, see where you I can get with it. I don't know where to go from here.
15: Like, you know, I don't know where to go. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I don't. Like, Newfoundlanders, there's a lot of us talking. We don't even feel like we're Newfoundlanders anymore.
1: All right, Rhonda, I appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank you.
5: All right, bye-bye. Bye.
1: We'll be back right after this.
5: Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your requests to irishnl at com or submit them online at vocm.com. Linda
1: Swain in for Patty Daly who is on vacation and uh, as normally happens this time of day uh, the lines have loosened up somewhat so uh, we often get that uh, happened throughout the course of the morning people find it's busy or they've been on hold for a little while and they um, they have to move on to other things but now's your chance if you want to give us a call uh, you'll get on fairly quickly we're going to go now to uh, Dennis O'Keefe you're on the air hi Linda hi Dennis how are you
16: I am terrific. The weather is beautiful, and the sun is out, and it's nice and warm, and absolutely fabulous.
1: Can't ask for more than that.
16: Can't ask for more than that. I'm going to give you a surprise this morning. Uh Uh-oh. I usually call on gas and oil. Mm Mm-hmm. And this morning, I want to just touch for a moment or four on the cod fishery. Okay. And as you know, the cod fishery is one of the core... Industries that we have in Newfoundland, Labrador. It, it, it's the basic industry that has sustained us since 1497. You know, even the British government back in time, way back then, even the British government recognized that this place called Newfoundland that was newly discovered was extremely valuable because of catfish. And the catfish would be there to serve and to feed Europe. And as a result of that, they banned all settlement in Newfoundland and Labrador. It was illegal back hundreds of years ago. It was illegal to live in Newfoundland and Labrador. And the whole reason behind it was to protect the fishery, to sustain the fishery. So here we are now, 500 years later, And we haven't learned. We've mismanaged that industry to the point where it's just absolutely disgraceful. I mean, we're 30 years in. We were told years ago we were going to have a moratorium. It was going to be three years. People were upset. People were angry, and rightly so. Many people left the province. Generations... Unborn are now born on the mainland, and it could have been here in Newfoundland, Labrador, but had to leave. People had to leave the province, and we we you know we kind of figure, well, okay, we can do this for three years and now here we are thirty years later, and we're probably worse than we were back in when the moratorium took place, and now. We have another moratorium. And now our brilliant politicians are telling us, "Eh, don't worry, it's only for a year. Now, I'm willing to bet that there's not a Newfoundlander and Labradorian who believes that this is going to be for one year. I hope I'm alive, knock on wood, a year from now.
1: Well, I recall uh, at the time when the COD moratorium was uh, declared, because I just started out my career at the time yeah. uh, as a news reporter. And I remember at the time there was talk. Okay, so let's put together a, a COD recovery plan. Let's let's put together uh, a plan to rebuild the stock. And yet all the efforts uh, of Ottawa seemed to concentrate on just retraining people to other things because I suppose there was an immediate need, an immediate economic need that had to be met. So that's where all the efforts, was concentrated, and then everybody sort of forgot about it, I suppose. Uh, That's the only way I can um, uh, surmise it all. We never did see uh, a comprehensive plan for rebuilding the fishery, restocking the fishery.
16: No, and, and the question then is why? Why after 30 years do we still not have a plan? Or was that the plan, not to have a plan? And as a result of not having the plan, uh, the, the cod fishery ultimately would disappear, and many communities around Newfoundland and Labrador would have to close up. Maybe that was the plan. I, I, I don't know, but I do know that there was no plan. And we're 30 years in now, and there's still no plan. And, it you know, it lays at the... F- feet of successive provincial and federal governments. The federal government has the authority uh, over the fish in the water. Uh, The province could be beating a, a harder drum than it is beating. And by the province, I mean successive governments over the years since the moratorium. The feds haven't got a plan, and the province is not forcing the issue. Or if they do, they're doing this, you know, we can't talk about it. It's behind closed doors, and uh, that's where the negotiations have to take place. <clears throat> take that with a grain of salt. But the reality is there is no plan, and now we're, we are into another moratorium. You know, I listened to Gus Echiguri and there's a man who knows the fishery. <laughs> My solution to it... Because if I'm going to criticize, I'm going to, I'm going to have a solution. My solution to it would be for the federal government and the provincial government to listen to the fishermen and the fisherwomen. The scientists have had a go at it for 30 years. They've done nothing. We're worse off than, than when we started. The people who know the fishery are the people and the water. The fishermen, the fisherwomen who have to make a livelihood from the fishery and who know it like their elbow. It takes so long to get something done. Look at this whole issue about the size of fishing boats. And the fishermen were complaining about that for years. And finally, finally, after years, the brilliance in Ottawa decided, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, what we did, uh, uh, forcing people to uh, cut off a quarter of their their, their fishing boat, uh, was a liability. And, and, you know, uh, (laughs) after everything that happened, they did away with it. The fishermen and the fisherwomen knew that right from the very beginning. I mean, listen to the people who have a a livelihood and the people who know the water and not only listen to them, but work with them, work together. And that's not happening. And until it does happen, uh, we're going down a dark road again, come back to the fishery. It's worth the cod fishery is worth over a billion dollars a year in revenue to the province, roughly. And imagine if we had a cod fishery that was in full blossom, what uh, the value of that would be. Yeah. Just the fishery
1: as a whole is worth uh, over a billion dollars. That's all species, I think. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, imagine if you had cod on top of that, how, uh, how much more um, vibrant and prosperous, especially rural parts of Newfoundland and Labrador, would be right now. Um, uh, I'll
16: leave you with a little anecdote. Yes, and the we end have to move on my, yeah. My personal view over the years... When I was a kid, I, I, in the summertime, I had a fish business here in town. I took my little wheelbarrow, and I took orders in my neighborhood for fish, and I went down to stairs Cove, and I bought the fish, brought it back to the individuals, and I got paid a nickel or 10 cents for each fish. And I can guarantee you that the fish that were sold on, on Water Street in the 1950s, size-wise... Uh, it's just an example of of what we've done to the fishery we've gone from a healthy industry and healthy fish to cat fishery to an unhealthy cat fishery and even the size of the cat are are smaller than they used to be there you have it Uh, that's my opinion on it it's absolutely crucial Newfoundland and Labrador uh, to to have a healthy fishery and a healthy cod fishery and we're not getting it from scientists so listen to the fishermen and the fisherwomen.
1: Uh, Dennis O'Keefe, thank you.
16: Thanks Linda, you have a, a good summer. I hope every day is like today.
1: Oh absolutely, thanks so much. Okay. All bye. Right. Bye. Bye. Uh, we're gonna go now to. Uh, oh, we're gonna go to a break. Says Dave, who is frantically making breaking signs at me. <laughs> He's, you're gonna break something doing that. Uh, we'll be back right after this. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. We're gonna go now to Jane Severs, who is the new executive director of the Historic Sites Association of Newfoundland and Labrador. Hello, Jane. Good morning, Linda congratulations on the new gig.
12: Thanks. Thanks. I'm really excited.
1: So what does it mean? What are are you going to do?
12: Uh, Well, I guess uh, before I explain what I should do, I guess I should familiarize people with the Historic Sites Association because maybe a lot of people um, don't know exactly what we do. Do you know what we do? I don't. I have an idea. (laughs) Well, the Historic Sites Association runs the heritage shops in the province. So we have nine stores in total. Um, there's three standalone shops. There's one at St. John's Airport, one on Water Street, one at Ducker Street. And then there are also the gift shops at the National Historic Sites, at Parks Canada's National Historic Sites across the province. So Signal Hill, Cape Spear, Castle Hill, Ryan Premises, port Ochoa, and Lancet Meadows. And what people may not be aware is that those gift shops are a social enterprise. So profits from those shops uh, go towards projects at National Historic Sites and projects um, that the Historic Sites Association um, uh, initiates on their own.
1: So obviously, um, revenue has been down, I would imagine, over the last two years. Uh,
12: yeah, yeah, revenue was pretty scary uh, during the pandemic. But I think the Luckily for me, I'm coming on board at a great time because business is amazing this year. Um, it's 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 way above even projections. And so the staff has been doing a fantastic job, and everybody's really excited.
1: Well, that's good. So uh, where will some of this uh, hard-earned revenue uh, go? Where, what are some of the priorities?
12: Oh, well, we have... Um, kind of some long-standing projects so people might be familiar with the provincial heritage fairs that school kids participate across the province um, and then winners get a chance to to, uh, to present the projects nationally so um, uh, so there's that, that's that's always a focus for the HSA. And then the the projects that we do in partnership with the National Historic Sites, they change, uh, you know, depending with the priorities uh, that Parks Canada has. So in the past, uh, the HSA has been responsible for things like the restoration of Hawthorne Cottage in Briggis, um, the reconstruction of the Queen's Battery on Signal Hill. Um, But uh, our most recent project uh, was working with staff on Signal Hill um, to think about ways that the communications history of that site could be presented in more contemporary and engaging ways. Well,
1: indeed, because it's such an important uh, part of world history, the, the whole, I guess, birthplace of modern day communications.
12: Exactly. And, and um, the Historic Sites Association and Parks Canada did a massive amount of community consultation uh, in 2020-2021. And what people uh, said was that, you know, the history is super important, but they also want to know um, how that history has impacted people's lives today. But to talk, So to talk not just about the past, but how that past is relevant in, in our everyday lives.
1: Absolutely, because we're picking up these devices, and I'm holding up my phone now. Um, none of this would have been possible, arguably, had uh, Guglielmo Marconi hadn't been able to uh, receive that first transatlantic signal.
12: Exactly, and I think it's it's changed everyone's lives for, for good and bad, and so the feedback that uh, we received was that people wanted to talk about, um, you know, kind of the these sticky, complex issues, you know, like... The, the, all the idea of you know, what has this mass communication done both good and bad for society and for communities. So there's lots and lots of really exciting opportunities. So uh, yeah, we'll be moving forward with that. Well, that's
1: fantastic. So uh, you operate uh, some of these historic sites, is that correct? No,
12: the historic sites, the national historic sites uh, that we work with are all operated by Parks Canada.
1: Ah, I so, see. Yeah.
12: So, So um, what we like to say is that the Historic Sites Association, we don't preserve or present heritage. We help make it happen. So as I said, we're a social enterprise. So the money we generate from our stores, uh, that goes towards um, uh, funding these projects. So uh, really, it's guilt-free shopping when you go to a heritage shop because, yeah, you're getting some great uh, um, uh, Newfoundland uh, merchandise, but if that. Those profits are also going right back into uh, heritage projects right across the province.
1: I always love the smell in those places. (laughs) 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 With all the soaps and that sort of thing, it's just great. Oh, I just love it. Uh, So, uh, as you say, guilt-free shopping. So, uh, sales way up?
12: Sales are are way up, yep. And so, knock on wood, looking for some wood, uh, that, uh, that it'll continue throughout the summer and beyond. Yep, so... And you
1: officially took over this week. Is that correct?
12: Yes. Yeah, first day was on Monday. Yep. Excellent. So walked, into my office, walked into my office and it was completely decorated with balloons and streamers. And there was a big welcome cake on my desk. Oh, so, how nice. So it's- doesn't get any better than that so, it yes, really that's, doesn't that's been amazing
1: well jane all the best to you now and uh obviously hopefully knock wood again uh, that uh, the uh, success that you've seen so far this tourism season continues at the heritage shops and uh go do some guilt-free
12: shopping folks exactly support some local crafts people and and uh, newfoundland and Labrador's heritage fantastic jane thank you thank you linda have
1: a great day you too Bye-bye. And we're going to go now to Elizabeth. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi. Hi, Linda. How are you? Good.
17: Good. Um, I just wanted to follow up with Craig Williams' uh, call. He did a great job with talking about Cycle for Sight earlier. Uh, But I just need to give the location of where people can go uh, on Sunday with the 10th. Uh, to register, and you can bring your own single bikes, uh, besides the tandems that uh, we're using. But your single bikes and ride and register there, the registration is 8 o'clock, starts at 8. So, And there's, uh, of course, 20-kilometer, 40-kilometer rides. So the, the 41 starts at 9, and the 20-kilometer starts at 10. And there may be a longer ride, but the the earlier ride starts first, so that makes sense. And also, I, the location I want to give you to, as an update is um, it's Park Place Community Center, and it's sixty one Park Avenue, Mount Pearl. all
1: right, sixty one Park Avenue in Mount Pearl, and it's at the Park Place Community Center.
17: Yes, that's where people go to register.
1: And that's Sunday morning?
17: Sunday morning, yes.
1: All righty. And uh, registration uh, begins at 8 a.m. And the 20-kilometer ride starts at 10. The 40-kilometer ride starts at 9. And this is the ride, uh, cycle for sight. Cycle for sight, yeah. It's for the Foundation Fighting Blindness, which does
17: research um, into eye diseases and to prevent blindness and apparently um uh, there's a very high one out of every 5 Canadians uh have vision loss so I, I can't couldn't believe it
1: that is a very high number
17: it is a high number yeah yeah but so many related with the age related macular degeneration and glaucoma and other serious diseases i'm visually impaired myself i i always rode a bike but uh I have osteoarthritis now and can't, uh, can't do that. But I do help out on the committee because I know the value of uh, saving, the, saving the sight of your grandchildren, you know.
1: For sure. Elizabeth, uh, we want to get Mike on the air before the end of the show. I really appreciate your time. Thank you.
17: Thank you very much, and have a great summer, Linda. All
1: right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, cycle for Sight uh, begins at uh, Sunday, Sunday morning. Uh, Mike, you're, you have the last word. We have uh, about a minute and a half left.
18: Okay, thank you. The uh, swap between Hagee and uh, Osborne. I think that they should have bought Hagee one way, take it back to England along with the Commerce Group. And I don't know, though, if Tom Osborne has got the gumption to do what's necessary with Eastern Health's infrastructure. I'm not talking about the doctors and the nurses and that stuff, but there's a lot of money wasted in the infrastructure and everything that this man will answer. He's had... Uh, studies done on the contracts that are given out by Eastern Health and Dave Diamond and all the rest of his involvement in it all. It's all been kept secret now for years. They know that there's a big, tremendous waste of money. Uh, my figure shows that a contract $300 million given out for 30 employees a year uh, for, for 10 years equals. Well, we're paying the people who are making sixty dollars and $70,000. We're paying a million dollars to the Congress Group Farm, to website contractors. So we couldn't get nowhere with right. Hagee on any of this. I'm uh, wondering about... Mike, Osborne, we'll have to pick Osborne it up another time,
1: I'm afraid, because we're completely out of time. We're up to news time now, but uh, uh, we'll pick it up another th- time. Thanks for your call.
18: Give me, give me the whole...
1: Oops, I'm sorry. Uh, we do have to go. It's news time now with Brian Medore.